0: Yeah, Let me try this one because it came up on my thing and I'm like, I'm just so sick of 20, 40-year-olds like complaining that they're not killing it, right? Like if you want to win, move to Louisiana and start a peanut butter bread. (laughs) You're a nasty person. Very nasty. Brazil's great country, Brazil. Love Brazil. Mm, So, you know, this kind of feels like your standard, typical Jordan Peterson podcast. You know, there's plants and, you know, the thing about plants in a room is it gives life and biological substructure to a space in which you're having a conversation and you know that's it's not nothing i don't know if it's something man but it's certainly not nothing
1: (laughs) so hmm no, we can start now. What's okay. up everybody? My name is Brazil and welcome to my podcast. Today I have a comedian that I've been following for a long time. He puts out some of the funniest parody videos that I've seen because he parodies people that I actually listen to a bunch of different thought leaders and not only does he get the voice right, but he gets the context right and it's fucking hilarious. I'm gonna put some links here below, but this is Ami. what's up bro? What's up, Hilton? How are you? I'm doing good, man. Oh, you called me by my government name. That's great. People will I, never say that. So people get my name wrong and they call me AJ. What's the, what's the name for you? People normally just call me Brazil, but for a while there, I didn't want to use my regular name. Why? Um, well, I had a seminar where I recently figured out why. Mm-hmm. If, it turns out because my biological father had the same name and I had some undealt with anger issues about him okay and i didn't find that out till i went to the seminar and then i was like oh maybe that's why i don't like so tony robbins was like it's your father (laughs) (laughs) exactly exactly it was was actually an exercise in the room where they made everybody point to somebody that they think they have a problem with Mm. right till like everybody's like i think i don't like you right Mm -hmm. and then the the teacher would give the mic to each person and say why do you think you don't like this person and i was like he reminds me of my
0: dad Mm. and i was like oh shit I saw Shane Gillis, the comedian said, I I went to therapy and I didn't like it because they were just trying to get me to hate my dad. Mm. And he's like, I like my dad. Oh, I like my dad. They're like, did he hit you? He's like, yeah, but I deserved it. (laughs) (laughs) But anyway, uh, so I guess I have to call myself Jersey. If you're, you're going by where you're a native, right? You're from from, Brazil.
1: Yeah. Yeah. You're from Jersey. Yeah. 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 So what made you want to start doing parodies? And is your goal to do that or to be a a stand-up comedian or like, what is the mission with what you create?
0: So I have an interesting journey because I actually come from the music world. My sort of first at bat in the creative space was doing music professionally. I went to the Berkeley college of music in Boston and I've been playing bass guitar and singing since I was 16 started bands in high school and through college. And when I was in school, I studied production for film and television and, Quickly began out of school writing for commercials, ads, instrumental music, uh, licensing songs, uh, original music to be placed in
1: film and TV. jingles and that kind of stuff. Yeah, jingles and
0: that kind of stuff. And then uh, moved out to California in 2011, started a band in California called Distant Cousins. We got a lot of our music placed in film and TV. And I was, most of my time spent in LA over the last decade was music focused, releasing original music, albums, theme songs, film scoring, all that kind of stuff. So that kind of became uh, a successful endeavor. And then a little bit before COVID, I would say I started to, you know, use social media a little bit on my own as just an experiment in, I don't know, just a little creative endeavor to do stuff consistently. Um, On my music side, it was more focused on the music and we didn't use social in particular as a creative outlet, it was more of like a promotional tool to like get people to come see the music. And so. was your
1: music like your original music, like you as an artist or you more so as a service artist for companies?
0: And Well, both the band releases original music. I, they, they all in the music industry today, a lot of the lanes have overlapped. So they get bands to come and do a, a score for a TV show. And we, our original music was being used in commercials and ads. So it was right. our music being used and through licensing to different brands, it was a way to help us cultivate an audience. And then we started, because we had the skill sets between us um, and I had come from the music for ad space, we started doing more custom work as a service. So we're in both worlds of the artist side of things. Distant Cousins does original albums and music and we have an audience, uh, local LA, New York, and we play around them and perform and you know work the clubs and stuff like that. And we also do the service stuff and it kind of people are attracted to working with artists because yeah. you know having fans, <clears throat> people who are moved by your original music is a great way to form relationships in the
1: uh, other kind of different media spaces. For um, sure because then you're like more of a legit person in the culture. Yeah you're not just and it somebody just, it just has that to be. Yeah
0: exactly. Well, it has just that impact. people you know everyone's a fan first, no matter what industry or just a consumer, you know having music that can move people is a great way to you know, kind of navigate the space as opposed to, you know, a composer who provides a service being a band that's the it adds an extra cachet because there's this you're adding a certain character or flavor to whatever show you're involved in. So that's always been beneficial. And you you see a lot of that overlap today, especially as modern scoring for TV and film has gotten more modern and less just like just simply classical or traditional styles of composing. You see like uh, Atticus Ross and um, uh, tre- Trent, Trent Reznor, Trent, Trent yeah. Reznor, uh, yeah. you know, do adding their artistic flavor to that stuff. So yeah. we were in that world as well. As far as my own comedy stuff, that started with social media, and I started to just post consistently on TikTok before TikTok was a like household name, but it was it was popular, but it wasn't ubiquitous and had had taken over yet. I was mm. semi early to it, yeah, and I was just kind of posting, you know, every day throughout the week. A little some music stuff, but then some impressions. I always had this like neglected child that was comedy. So music was the child I was giving all the attention to. Yeah. But I had all this comedic energy in me, impressions, skits, sketches, stuff like that. There just was never really an outlet before there was social media as the stage to broadcast this stuff. I wasn't really in that world of um, of being able to showcase it, and so I used TikTok, which was
1: sort of the engine, and then that. On Still. the same page, so you're saying music and comedy, just whatever you were doing, just
0: experimenting, yeah. and then it started. Comedy was kind of easy for me to do. I'd just do an impression, a bit, an idea, and then the story goes where one of these one one of the days I'm like sitting in my car, I'm like, Who can I? What can I do today on TikTok to throw up a video? And I came across a a video on my for you page of a guy named Gary V. And it was just another one of the people, like just like anybody I would do. I'm like, oh yeah, can I do a Gary Vee? Let me try a Gary Vee. So I threw up my phone. It's like 4 p.m. in the car, end of the day. And I'm like, let me let me see if I can, you know, let me try this one. Cause it came up on my thing. And I'm like, I'm just so sick of 20, 40 year olds like complaining that they're not killing it. Right. Like, if you want to win, move to Louisiana and start a peanut butter bread. <laughs> right? Like peanut butter. Right? Like, and I really, 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 really believe that. I'm like, Almost not going to post it. I'm like, I think it could be, not because I'm hesitant to, I feel like I could refine it, but whatever. I post it. Long story short, video goes kind of my first sort of TikTok moment where it kind of takes off within a few days, 500,000 views. Barstool Sports shares the video on their page to Instagram, like 7 million followers. And within, you know, it wasn't like an overnight thing because I had been posting for months and months up until then. But um, I kind of felt like there was an audience there now, a few thousand people on TikTok, Instagram, whatever. And then the, something palatable, something something tangible felt like it had developed where I'm like, now when I put something out, there's this audience. So I really dug deep on the Gary V for a long time. Um, I got a message from another creator who said like, you know, because I was ready to be like, okay, now look what else I can do. I, I can do the music, I can do this, I can do that. But so he was like, I have some advice for you. Like, really lean into this because you think everyone's seen it now, but the truth is they really haven't. Mm. So I squeezed as much creative juice out of the Gary Vee as I could. I didn't want to just do Gary Vee stuff, but anything I could think of funny for that, I I just wanted to play the hit song a little bit. Yeah. That led me all the way to opening VCon years later with Gary Vee and another friend comedian. Uh, and it, it, it was in very interesting. Oh yeah. Like, I remember TikTok he said
1: story. he brought the impersonators
0: there. Yeah. He yeah. brought me and Nima Naz out to open the conference. A lot of fun. And when okay. I was at that conference, I'm like an A-lister. Everyone's like, you, you, whoa, dude. And I'm like, yup, 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 yup. Um, anyway, that's the TikTok story. It's sort of TikTok. Now it's like between TikTok, Instagram, YouTube, Twitter, like I'm in that media content creation space doing comedy and now introducing now coming full circle, some more musical elements into my Content as well. So I forgot your question. I'm still talking, but I think that's, that's the long story. I'm I'm following it. Yeah. That's the long story long of my journey into the content creation space. And now that I'm back on the East coast, I moved out of LA a couple years ago. It's more about cultivating an audience. Congrats. Yeah. (laughs) I, (laughs) I defected. Um, yeah, I've been working on a Gavin Newsom impression, but it's not there. Highest, we have the highest uh, turnaround rates in the country. We're doing, we're doing well. I, I, you know, think about the people move to Florida. Forget about them. There are people coming in. More people coming in. More people coming into More people coming into California than any other state.
1: You gotta, you gotta do the thumb. More it's people, always a thumb. There's, there's more people
0: coming in, a, coming into California. There's more, not Florida. More people. Sean, Sean, Sean. More people come into Florida than. More people come into California than any other state. You look at San Francisco, there's people sleeping on the street. Our streets are so comfortable. People are sleeping on them. They're they're soft, they're clean, they're delicious. People are sleeping on them. More people coming into Florida. Bro. It's not there yet, but in a mic like this that's really hot and warm, like you can kind of get that. Yeah. More people sleeping on the streets of California because California is welcoming. It's a big
1: giant sleepover. Dude, your your, uh, (laughs) Jordan Peterson ones are so on point Mm. on so many levels because not only do you get the face. Right. But contextually, what you're saying is so in the logical line of thinking mm. that he would apply to it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Jordan
0: Middles another one. So after Gary, there was Jordan. After Jordan, there was Prince Harry. Mm. So, you know, this kind of feels like, you know, your standard typical Jordan Peterson podcast, you know, there's plants. And, you know, the thing about plants in a room is it gives life and biological substructure to a space in which you're having a conversation. And, you know, that's it's not nothing. I don't know if it's something, man, but it's certainly
1: not nothing. <laughs> so, mm, that's what I would say. <laughs> Bro, yeah. cause it's funny because there is a whole sub, I <laughs> every time I say substructure, I think of him. Yeah. No, but there's a community of people that listen to all these people. Right. right. Like the comments section of Comedians Podcast crosses over with the Jordan Petersons and the Gary V's and all these right. people. Like there is this thirst for it. So the humor is just right on brand and there's nobody doing that. Mm-hmm. Like bridging all those things together because they do cross over, like self help comedy. Like they, they talk, they right. know. I wouldn't say any of
0: that was completely intentional on my part or calculated. I was just doing the people in my like cross section of what I consume. And I actually think we're in a world now in the content space where you think you're the only one watching these things like that, you know, your tastes are so everything is so curated and, and focused uh, to particular people's interests, but there's a lot of people in that space. So it creates these a lot of private jokes between like mass sort of, but deep communities of people. So it's like, if you know Jordan Peterson, you know, Jordan Peterson, if you don't, you don't, he's completely obscure. So he's like known to several million, million people, whatever. And outside of that, it's like, who's that? You know? Right, like they'd have to really have seen his speech just to get it. but if It's they like do, these communities are formed, and that's the space we're in, where people mm. are famous to the people they're famous for, and not outside of that.
1: You know, which is kind of cool because that means so. that you sh- you'll more likely be able to walk around as a famous person mm. and not be mobbed so much. Yeah, if you're just in a different place, I think it's a good. I think it's a healthier
0: balance a little bit. The only thing that's can be risky is when you have to do everything yourself. You can risk getting worn out because you have to build up these audiences completely on your own in isolation. And you just have to be mindful of that, you know, and not people talk about burnout and content creation, burnout and stuff because you never take any breaks and you constantly feed this beast and you can't let it consume you either. So, yeah, I saw you you post the other day that you were taking a break. Yeah. And I actually even took that post down because I was like, I kind of started seeing this trend a little bit happening of like creators that I follow posting how they're taking off for August. I got inspired by that a little bit. And I was like, oh, cool. So I'll like, you know, let the audience know I'm not gonna be posting for, for like the first time in two years, like not posting daily. But then I realized in doing that, like I'm indulging in the same practice of like asking permission from followers to stop posting uh, for them. It's almost like I could just stop posting for a minute. Like by by posting, I'm taking a break it's almost admitting that I have to ask permission to do so
1: it's like an apologetic tone yeah and then and I, it I, sets the frame yeah and I'm like not, you know yeah. what I could also just not post
0: and it can wait that's okay but by doing that it's like a, it was sending a signal I didn't mean to send yeah it was having dramatic unintentional consequences and I was getting like messages like you know checking in I'm like hey, oh, n- you know what Ugh. never mind like I just won't post for a few days I just won't post for however long I'm until I'm ready to like make more stuff again. Cause you make a lot of stuff with, without expectation, right? Like the Gary V and me, like provide value without expectation. But the challenge I think with any modern day creator, especially, or with the mantra of like hard work, that all this stuff is hard work and takes a lot of work and consistency. And I subscribe to all those things. um, And I, and I, you know, I practice what I preach in that way. I tell people, ask me how I've like built up followings online and how that works. And I'm always very suspicious of the, Oh, here's how to get a thousand followers in two weeks and, and do all these things and hacks and shortcuts. It's like, no, no, you got to, it's like fitness. You know, you got to show up every day and make stuff and you're in the grind too. You have the yeah. podcast, you know what it takes. Um, but the issue with that is because of the mantra of hard work, it's sometimes hard to assess where something that's stressing you is hard. is just part of the hard work and where it's like, okay, you need to take a break and,
1: and like have balance, you know? Yeah, how to have that discernment is important because they feel almost the same. They feel the same. You're like,
0: well, I'm, I'm I'm so stretched right now. It's like, well, that's hard work. That's what it is. That's par for the course. And I think it's just a judgment call. And, and at some
1: point there's diminishing returns. Yeah, exactly. Right? Like sometimes exactly. if you work twice as many hours, you don't get twice as much done because right. then your work starts sucking, you start missing details or whatever. And then you right? follow
0: Jocko Willink and he's like, get up at 3.30. Yeah. <laughs> get up at three. Get up before you go to sleep. What? <laughs> yes, I get up before I go to sleep. That's the grind. I'm sweating. I go to sleep sweating. I wake up in my bed having done three push ups already unconsciously. <laughs> That's my alarm. I don't set the alarm. The alarm. <laughs> <laughs> when I hear that snooze button, I break the phone. I go through a new iPhone every day because I snap it in half. <laughs> That's the grind. And it's all about what people's tolerance is.
1: Dude, I, it's funny because
0: I, I break 365 <laughs> phones a year because every time the alarm goes off, I snap the phone in half.
1: It's funny because I do consume all that too. Yeah. So in my mind, those voices are in there. Yeah. I legit have those arguments in my mind. It goes right. like, okay, there's a part of you that's lazy that says, nah, I want to sleep in. Mm-hmm. And there are days where you probably should. You Get could. Get up. Right. Get up, but other part, yeah, it's like embrace the suck. Like, Get up. Who's gonna carry the boats? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly. So like, yeah, it's it's ultimately a
0: judgment call. If you yeah. burn out, if you burn out, then you're not there. So whatever, I'm sure Jocko Willing takes breaks, yeah. but um, it's it also depends on what stage of the content creation process you're at. When you're just starting and developing and have to build the habits of consistency, it's probably not a great idea to like take to post once a week and take a break if it's not going to facilitate, whatever. Yeah. But like any person who's a fitness guru has recovery days, otherwise your muscles will destroy themselves. And they'll atrophy if you don't work them out. Yeah, it so, just
1: has to be really put into it. Like I was just watching- the Self-awareness. Yeah, yeah, I had that. <laughs> have you seen the Sean White documentary on HBO? I haven't seen it, no. Um, I just got into snowboarding recently and I mm-hmm. saw it. And just watching his regimen to get into the Olympics, right, like the amount that they train, But yeah. then the rest is like so- planned into it right like the ice baths and the physical therapy and this and that like mm-hmm. it's it's a the rest is equally important they do go hard mm-hmm. i think most people that advice is needed because they don't go hard enough right so for the general population you could say get up sooner and do it it would probably help yeah but when you're already doing that non-stop it's mm-hmm. you need a little more it's, of. It's a, just
0: hard to take the hard work mantra and know when it's applicable and when what you're feeling is just a part of that like Unpleasantness that's going into what you want to be doing. Yeah. Versus no, no. This is telling you like it's too much. You're stretched. It's like you're burnt. You're gonna burn out. But it's like you know you'll
1: know. What are some personal hacks you've done around that, like to to like hack yourself into dealing with that shit? Well, the first things I had to develop
0: were habits of consistency. You know, because I am naturally of output or, or of input. output, okay. of output. But naturally, I wasn't like that. So I think part of the reason I've been hesitant to take breaks is like I've been scared of falling into the habit of like ideas being in my head, but like, oh, when, you know, like uh, I had to first develop a consistent, because it's a frustrating place to live with potential ideas that you don't put out into the world. You're just right. like, I should do this, I should start the podcast. I, sh- I would love to do more episodes of this, I would love to do more collaborations. So The first thing I did was like take a whiteboard and put it in front of me in my studio and like have written down things that I stare at every day and start doing things on a more uh, like systematic level, like systems daily of things that I do. Make something every day, post every day. Don't overthink it. Like don't get caught in that. Like there's a Gary Vism that is true, which is quantity leads to quality. So Mm. things in the beginning will be a little rougher, and don't be too. Don't let perfect be the enemy of the good. So building up that regimen of consistency, and then over time things get better, better editing, better skills, and less resistance to making stuff. Like I can make something in 10 minutes
1: now that yeah. would have taken me two hours. Because you it could iterate, and yeah. the next one is better, but if you just hesitate- but like then, two years ago to make yeah. a video
0: for, for, for Instagram or one of these mm-hmm. things would take me a long time, uh, especially if I was doing something musical, it would be like, oh my God. So now it gets more- Fluid,
1: like the process gets easier. There's less resistance
0: from the idea to it being out there in the world, right? Yeah.
1: Um, Do you uh, block schedule shoot? Like, are you? Do you have like weeks out in advance of content done, or you making new stuff as you go?
0: So I don't. I should. I'm sure that's the healthier way to do it. For most people that I've spoken to about about having a healthier balance, it's batching content. You know, where you'll have a shoot day and you'll make a bunch of things. But there's a part of me that also likes the pressure. Of waking up saying, all right, stuff's got to go out today and there isn't anything in the can. But well, you
1: do same day, like same, you shoot it in the morning and off it goes? Same day, yeah. It's harder for
0: me to batch it because that urgency gets it done mm. in a way and I've gotten fast at like thinking of the idea. I have a lot of ideas written down and stuff but I don't have like an executed batch of, uh, of yeah. like pre-made videos ready to go on a schedule. And maybe that's to come to help develop it but the thing is, Sometimes I'm doing topical things and trending things like a Prince Harry video of something that just happened or an episode of Rogan that I'm like going to parody. So there's that too where I respond to stuff in real time. But there's definitely, it's definitely not the optimal way to do it because yeah. that's what leads to burnout where you're just like,
1: the days go and you're lost in the cycle of posting. I mean, have you seen the South Park documentary, Six Days to Air? No. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I know yeah. what that's about, where it,
0: they like are like that deadline. I
1: think for creative people- It's like people, a week, literally from one, one one episode airs, they start the next week's episode the following day. Yeah. And but, it's
0: just, but for people with creative temperaments, it's like yeah. we're very reactive. It's hard to be proactive. So when something- oh, comes, That's a good point. Like the hardest thing is how do you do things when there is no deadline and there is no urgency? What do you do? You sit there and go, oh, shit. I don't know, but if someone's like, "Hey, I need something tomorrow by noon, and it has to have this and this and this with these parameters," can you put something together? Can you design a logo for me? Can you make a video? Can you make a song? Yes. So that I'm used to that process mm. and that urgency, having woken, waking up in the morning and saying, "I got to put stuff out today." What's it going to be? You know, by a certain time of the day, I want stuff out. Is um is it does help in a way, but it also can be self defeating because it can really stretch you if you don't have like a relaxed like monday shoot day and make a bunch of things you know i always feel right. like when i do do that on occasion i'm like oh it's nice i know what's going out tomorrow but then i get tempted i make something funny i'm like i'm going to throw all these up right now right you know, there is this like immediate itch you want to scratch of like this is really funny and i don't think i'm going to wait till tomorrow to post it and then you hear Gary Vee saying post seventy four pieces of content a day, and you're like, oh god! So if you have to post seventy four, I've you know you post, you're just constantly doing it. But that can lead to I don't think that can lead to a healthy place because you're just going to be so stretched. With the podcast, we
1: try to do you know the once a week record and once a week release to stay on that schedule. Do you publicly announce that you're doing stuff every day, or do you just do it? I just do it. What do you mean? Like, is there a banner that says new videos every day at noon on your pages or is it just you just drop them? No, we try to, with the podcast element of it, you try to like, you know, keep it at a Monday or Tuesday
0: release day and then a Wednesday record day and a Monday whatever. But I also, I'm trying, I'm not necessarily trying to apply now. I'm I'm shifting approaches a little bit in that there are certain things you can do more spread out, like a podcast episode. And then we try to do reels for that and like daily posts for that. But sometimes it could just, you can reach your bandwidth where you're, it's self-defeating. Yeah. So... I feel like now my new approach going forward will be like the podcast is like a weekly release, maybe one short clip from that for the week, you know, to help people get away. Like, like take the best bits of that one to two, and not like, you know, I can't. I'm I'm only, I'm only human, you know. I can't. uh, (laughs) So if there's a team involved at some point, that's different. But yeah, yeah, I'm usually, I'm not committing myself to certain times for my own content. I'm just like, think of a video. Make the video, post the video. Think of a video, make the video, post the video. And I have written down ideas of stuff that's like in my head that I think of, little bits and sketches, stand-up ideas, whatever it may be. Yeah. Um, Sometimes I feel like doing music. Whatever it is, to me, first and foremost is showing up on the platforms with something that people would enjoy and that I enjoy making. And whether it's music, comedy, whatever, it goes up. And are you going to do stand-up
1: too? I
0: do do stand-up. When I got to New York, I... I, you know, my band that's here based in LA, that was where a lot of the musical outlet was, where we would perform live and the performance outlet. Um, when I got to New York and I was sort of on my own in terms of what I would do performance wise, I'd been performing on stage as a musician for 15 years, Wow, very comfortable. Like that's not foreign to me. Stand up is a different format. Uh, I'm comfortable in certain elements. I'm not coming into performing on stage green. You know, timing, dynamics, there's a lot of similarities to music, but it's a different format and a different craft. So, yeah, I write a lot. And I think ultimately my place on stage will be sort of a polymath, Bo Burnham, Reggie Watts, music and comedy synthesized, which I'm developing now. Nice. Um, But what I wanted to do first was build up my skill set on the stand up side. So that I don't use it as a I don't use the music as a crutch for the stand-up where I will do the stand-up is less experienced. It's almost like a one arm is is really experienced and one arm isn't. And that's just not balanced. So I had to bring, you know, the stand-up muscle up to speed with the musical skill set. And then when you fuse the two, I'm unstoppable. Unstoppable. This rich microphone. These SM seven bs have such good low end, so I like to use it. Yeah. Um I love them. Yeah. So anyway, once those two are there, like I'm writing songs now that I think I could do on stage. That have like maybe a funny angle to them. So it's sort of like to create my own little lane, you know. Yeah, absolutely. Of, um, of musical comedy. Uh which and I've been watching like a lot of Bo Burnham stuff and Mark Rebier, who's like a looping do you know Mark Rebier? No, so but do, I've seen both uh, stuff, yeah, yeah. Like live looping and comedy and whatever that may look like. It's yeah, coming. I mean you're entertaining the
1: crowd yeah. through whatever form it means. And you impressions,
0: know? you know, like I don't know, singing songs as Donald Trump. I don't know. I don't know. Like right now all that stuff is percolating.
1: Yeah. Well yeah. I think we accept more of a wider range of output from an artist now, right? Right, like you have even Childish Gambino, who exactly. sings and who writes. He did stand up comedy. He has a yeah. he has a special, correct? You know, and then he has serious songs. So and he he's sings. like
0: a kindred spirit to me in some ways, like you know, compared to Childish Gambino. But when I see what he's done, it was sketch. There was before he was known. He did a lot of sketch comedy too, yeah. called Derek Comedy, which was hilarious. And I found him online, and he did some acting. And then all of a sudden, he comes out and he can do a lot of that. So because of my musical background you know for a long time i'd play music and perform and i would have a lot of these this comedy in me and there was nowhere where there was no place to put it and then when i do stand up i'm like oh, i have all this music in me and i'm trying to figure out where to put it but i'm trying to figure out how to synthesize it so that they're complementary and not like da 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 here's a song here's you know like right figure out a way and that's a creative challenge that i'm in the midst of doing which is cool i'm starting to sing stuff on stage and just that just takes stage time and experience and like experimenting
1: i think the um, audience is ready for that yeah yeah, and, and I think the point I was making about Childish Gambino is that as a fan, mm-hmm. I don't try to hold him to just one thing. I accept right. the fact that, oh, of course he's doing a f- silly thing and now he's doing a serious thing. Right? Because right. back in the day, I think people were afraid to do that, mm-hmm. of being made fun of, of like, you know, if you're a serious rapper, then you can't be on a comedy show. It's yeah, like, what?
0: I think the antidote to yeah. the imposter syndrome that has mm-hmm. inevitably evolved in all those things is... And I heard this from Brian Koppelman who created uh, Billions and Rounders and he's also done some music production stuff Mm. like, how do you adapt between these different roles that you play? And he said, just like, you know, you have, by doing it, it's such a simple answer, doing it solves the problem. The second you're doing the, you're making music, you're not an imposter in music. And the second you're making comedy, you're not an imposter. It's just like, that's a feeling that happens when you're new to something, but uh, in doing it.
1: Like nobody's an astronaut till they go to space. Right, right, You gotta get out there. So exactly. So, in doing those things, you're you're figuring it out, and that's just in your head, you know. Now, what do you actually study from a self help or personal development standpoint? Because I mean, I know these people that you parody, you're getting their content on point, Mm -hmm. but you were also already having a career long before that. Yeah. So you've already quote unquote made a lot of your dreams come true artistically, Mm -hmm. right? Of being Mm -hmm. a professional artist. When kids are doing art, they're just like. If I could get paid to do this, it would be amazing, right? Right. Were you just always naturally motivated? Did you have a certain thing you gravitated to?
0: I didn't go through a stage where I was like fully, I had the fortunate, I was fortunate to have good mentors growing up who were very encouraging of Mm -hmm. my like creative abilities and musical natural instincts to do things. My parents were very supportive of me I took private lessons as a kid, studying bass and music. I had a private teacher growing up who was very encouraging. Yeah, yeah. And my parents were very encouraging of, of me to perform and write and, and and make music. And so that was always very helpful. I had a sense that I, I mean, they built a, a certain self-esteem and confidence in me that I would be able to do this. That's a big and thing, that encouragement. For sure, for sure. And um, and even in playing, in, so I was playing as a teenager and I felt really at home doing that. I felt like uh, I was always in the right place. You know, but did they want you to get a regular
1: job? Did they want you to be a doctor? So you know, luckily
0: for me, they were they were encouraging all the way through. You know, I come from a, like an Orthodox Jewish background, so my dad would say things like, yeah, "Listen, you know, do you do music do really thing, but always keep your eye on the ball." And he means like a big ball of stable cash. Like it's like always mm-hmm. keep your eye on the ball, and like, you know, take some business classes, and and you know, like you know, it's like that's the world they understood. But like you know, they were you know, thank God, really encouraging of me to to, to keep going and. As far as self help, uh, you know, most of these guys are saying not untrue things. They're saying very like simple things that are very hard to execute. You know, like be consistent, be productive. I think a lot of people do want to work hard, but they just don't know what the hard work is. So trying to identify what that hard work is is a challenge. Yeah, for me that was always hard. It's like okay, I am ready to do whatever to get this song into a TV show. Like I want to do that. That's what I would love to see my music there. What do I need to do? I'm not like being lazy. I'm not sleeping on it. I'm not just like you know complaining. I'm not complaining at all. What is the work? And so you have to put yourself around people who have done it. Yes. And that's when I started interning out of school. I went to a music house and like a music production company that did music for commercials and did whatever I could. Worked for free. Repaired cables. Built desks. Got got coffee. Yes. So I could I could be around people who are doing the thing that I wanted to do. And I was able to figure that out pretty much sort of myself as
1: far as what that's involved in. And you were in proximity to it. You felt the vibe. Yeah, yeah, no,
0: no, just to be a fly on the wall and learn and be a sponge and take up as much as I could. It's like, how is is this process working? How does this happen? Yeah. Um, I read a book by Scott Adams who created the Dilbert comic strip. Um, He's gotten more sort of like edgy and controversial lately with a lot of political commentary, but he's the creator of Dilbert and he wrote a book called How to Fail at Everything and Still Win Big. It's, it's like a life story of his because he like worked in the corporate world for a while. And he, that was the one book I'd say that I read in the self-help um, category in a sense. It's really about him, but he giving all of this like real, real world tested advice over things that he did that helped like change his path a little bit. And it changed the way I think about things. Um, and one of the things that he talked about were being system oriented instead of goal oriented, mm-hmm. like like I said before about being proactive versus reactive to things, like making stuff every day regardless as to whether it's for a particular goal or a project. I started just, after reading his book, implementing these systems where I would make a little bit of music every day and
1: I had no idea what it was for. It wasn't for a commercial. It wasn't for a deadline. It wasn't for a film. It was almost like a focus on doing crunches instead of having abs. The abs yeah, will come, but just yeah, do it, the do the thing.
0: Systems. So yeah. I, and, and I started just making a little bit of music every day. Fast forward to now... I use a lot of those tracks that I made, like you know, multiple, multiple musical tracks in a lot of my videos, and I have like a library of stuff. I didn't anticipate that, but now I have it, yeah. and I got better even at production as a producer to have all that stuff. And then making videos daily, just all of a sudden, you find that these things have, uh, you know, the uh, dividends that pay out over time without you even realizing. He talks about in his experience working in the corporate world where he was miserable. Scott Adams who talked about, yeah. That, but that informed all of his creative uh inspiration for Dilbert, which was authentic because he worked in the corporate world. So, like, even things that you even endeavors that you embark on that don't work out the way you wanted goal-wise have given you skill sets that you can skill stack yes. over time. You do a podcast and the podcast has to end, but you've learned how to produce, schedule, book, like you've acquired all these skill sets. Right. And then you skill stack and combine all the different things you have over time to create to be really truly competitive in. Whatever endeavor you're doing. And yes. perceiving those that way, that even if you don't meet ultimate goals of what the particular endeavor was, in doing those and being productive, you are gaining skills and that can be applicable to other So things.
1: true. So, so true. So
0: that was a good life changing one. And then like writing down things right in front of me so that like you're treating your brain like a hackable piece of software. Yeah. As opposed to just letting these ideas simmer in your head. Once I started writing them down in front of me, uh, it started to help inform like my daily practices and regimens. And then he talks about affirmations, which is probably the fluffiest part of it, where you like say things to yourself. And I do do those. I'm not gonna say where they are, (laughs) but whatever.
1: Maybe they work, maybe they don't, but maybe they
0: help prime your brain.
1: I think they do because it's no different than your parents encouraging you, right? My parents encouraged me too. They were both classical ballet dancers, so they were like, you know, used to doing art, and they were Mm -hmm. like, we don't have a lot of money to give you, but Mm -hmm. you could be a professional if you if you work hard and do it, right? And yeah, man, what an interesting journey.
0: Yeah. So I would say that maybe just that book is the only one like the Gary V I'm like, you know, I'm a fan, but I wasn't like, I didn't read crush it and it changed my life. I didn't come at it from that angle. I was just like having fun with him Yeah, and Jordan too. Jordan, Jordan has been certainly impactful to me uh, from a spiritual religious side, not like the self-help side, but, uh, but just more about giving a lot of credibility towards religious ideas, spiritual ideas, because in the intelligentsia that we exist in, it's largely a very secular atheistic, you know, harsh towards that kind of traditional thinking, and Jordan has lent a lot of intellectual credibility to that world.
1: I agree. He's definitely made me think more about that as well from an intellectual standpoint, even from the utility of it.
0: Yeah, because most of those debates are like, you know, Christopher Hitchens destroys one guy who's like, but it's in the gospel, Chris, and you're like, oh, God, well, that's that's not, it's just like an unfair fight, but Jordan is a lot more complex in the way he thinks about these things, so, yeah, you know, (laughs) yes, well, you know, why do you think that's funny, you know? It's like, well, Okay. Good luck with
1: that. Oh, sorry. I yeah, that's amazing. I wish yeah. I, I wish I had a, a parody Jordan Peterson and I talk to you every day. Yes. Well, you know, give me a call,
0: text. We'll see what Michaela can arrange. You know, I don't have a lot. Don't have a lot of spare time these days. But what is time? But the extrapolation over the, you know, universal substructure that we all exist in, and the yin and the yang of a of a lobster. You know. So
1: that's what I would say. <laughs> oh my God, that shit gets me every time. Yeah. Um, so what does God mean to you? What does God mean to me? Yeah.
0: Act like he exists. You know, yeah. I, I it's,
1: what does God mean to me? Is it You can answer as Jordan
0: if you want. <laughs> That's easier acceptable. to answer answer that question. I, he would say, I don't really like the way the question is formulated. You know, it's like, <laughs> what? What about how or is
1: um yeah, uh, you know, are you very religious? I'm a religious guy. Yeah. yeah. Um, what does that mean though? Like you like, it, how does I'm it show ob- up?
0: I'm an observant, uh, orthodox Jew. So that it involves a lot of ritual and a lot of practice. I don't, uh, I unplug every Friday night through Saturday, uh, com- no electricity. I keep the Sabbath, do you actually and, practice that? Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. That so, must feel really good. It's very in vogue now. I mean, doing it your, doing it my whole life, it used to be like, what? What do you mean you're not on your phone? But now everyone's like, that's so cool, especially influencer culture yeah. to unplug. Yeah. So I'm an observant Orthodox Jew, which means I keep kosher, I keep the Sabbath, uh, no electricity on the Sabbath, no driving, nothing, completely unplugged. Um, and there's a whole bunch of range of practices involved. It's a whole lifestyle and I've been that way my whole life. So what do you, what have you gained from the Sabbath? Um, I mean, it's a huge question, but the Sabbath, the day of rest, you know, is, it's a really felt tangible experience when you can go outside with your family and you have nothing in your pockets. You know, like you don't feel the itch to turn anything on. You you get a sense of presence with the people around you, the community around you, that is totally felt when the sun goes down on a Friday. Um, it feels like a this feels like a pastoral podcast. When the sun goes down on a Friday, when the sun goes down on a Friday, it's all of a sudden you're transformed. You're in a totally new space, a spiritual space that's very different from the material, day to day hustle and bustle of the world, which is a fast paced, hyper distracted. More today than ever, overstimulated, overstimulated, and all of a sudden that all quiets down, the noise goes down, and you're focused on family, gathering around a table for meals, prayer, um, you know, going to temple services for for 24 hours, you know, for, or for uh, yeah, 24 hours, Friday night to sun sundown to sundown on Saturday, you are in a completely different space that is sanctified, and. That and, must be really nice to consistently yeah, have always. that break, and you do not. And it's like a, I don't know. It's like a vegan to make that kind of compare. I mean, it's saying you don't violate it. Like you do not. There's no conditions unless there's an emergency, medical emergency, and saving a life or things like that. Right. It's not just uh, a fun like little regimen. It's deeper than that, and uh, it's it's paramount, and it comes before. You know, I've had opportunities to play concerts or big opportunities for things, but if it's on a hot high- Sabbath. Yeah. So, um, so that is where I forgot what the original point was, but here we go. As far as unplugging in the Sabbath, it's a, it's to you're sanctifying time. That's the idea. You're, you're creating a sacred space in which you are unplugging from the material world and coming into the spiritual world. And that also involves, you know, re rekindling your spiritual, your, your physical, your like relationships with human beings and having, it's, it's very much a time where we have meals Friday night and and on Saturday on uh shabbos day you get together with friends you go to prayer services
1: spend time with your kids with your wife with your with your friends but if your family's out of town you can't call them during sabbath you cannot so it's it's really whoever you're physically there with so you can yes yes you can be present
0: and yes i am. there are there are different shabbos where you're alone in a hotel and that's a bummer but luckily no matter where you are in the world that you can try to find various pockets of communities that are doing it and yeah and uh, and and attached to that and then you asked about God, which I, I just didn't want to leave well, that that big question. Before hanging. you yes. get to God, I, yeah. I want
1: to talk about the Sabbath. So yeah, what's ahead. interesting about that is that I think for me, a, a big part of the first half of my life was being able to to have more experiences, mm-hmm. right? Being able to do more, to see more, to, you know, whatever. Yeah. And now you get to a point where you realize some of the great decision-making is about what you don't do, mm-hmm. right, like what you're not gonna focus on, what you're right. not going to eat, right? Before mm-hmm. it's like, can I afford to eat everything I want? And mm-hmm. you try everything and you're like, oh, most of that stuff is not good for me, right? okay, right? Or same thing, or, you know, can I get girls? So you're like, oh, I can get girls. And so you're like, oh, mm-hmm. wait a minute, now you're just being distracted by, by women. Mm-hmm. So then you focus it down, right? And it's the same thing. And like as Steve Jobs was saying that too: that design isn't just what you include in a product; is what you don't include, right? Right. And I think that philosophically, that's great because I do feel over-consumed with media. Like, mm-hmm. and we can excuse it because we work in it, right? Right. And we can always say, well, yeah, I'm taking a break from this screen to look at another screen, <laughs> right? And it's just, it's like non-stopping and you can kind of justify it as like, well, I'm studying film because I'm watching another movie, right? And and I do feel that sense of overstimulation, and I think having some consistency of turning it off, and then setting it as a boundary too, right? Because I'm sure the people you work with have is, know that that's a boundary of yours. Yes, so they yes. they don't expect the email back on Saturday or Correct. whatever. Correct. Yeah.
0: Yes, and I I think you know it's going to sound cheesy, but it's like it's important not to confuse like likes for love, for real relationships. There's a positive feedback loop that exists within social media and we're all after it and we all are addicted to it. The likes, the engagement, the, the hand clap emojis, all that stuff, it feels really good. But I have no illusions about the fact that when I put the phone down, you know, the people in front of me, you know, family, wife, children, all that kind of stuff is is, is paramount. That's the stuff that's the hierarchy of values that one is, imp- that is super important to form in one's life. And that's kind of part of the Jordan Peterson influence for sure that helped articulate what your hierarchy of values should be. Yeah. And do- not to confuse them, you know, um, like all the stuff I get to do is fun and I'm happy to be a part of it. I'm grateful to be able to contribute and entertain. And that's a big part of my life. But in the hierarchy of values, there are things that come before it, you know, and prioritizing. And they're not that.
1: mutually exclusive.
0: Correct. And, 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 and to the extent that, I keep myself in check and aware of what's more important. Um, it helps to put things into perspective, you know? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so where I don't, everyone's like, but don't you feel like you're missing out? You're sacrificing when you can't do that gig or this gig? <clears throat> you're yeah, taking a minor sacrifice yeah. for the sake of maintaining and sustaining a community and family life that is in the long run, you know, I think it 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 comes before it. it. It It is more important. It just does.
1: It just does.
0: Yeah. Jordan Peterson was talking to some news anchor and she was like, well, I love my job and I don't want to necessarily have children, have a family and was trying to challenge him on that. This uh, woman anchor was basically saying it to yeah. him. And it was just like one of those like viral clips. And he did respond and said, uh, you know, in true fashion. So what do you say to someone like me who's focused more on my career instead of like focusing on a, uh, on family he goes well i would say you know life gets very long after 45 and while i've had an amazing career you know uh, certainly having a continuation of narrative and a family around me nothing's been more important to me than that so you know life gets very long after 45 <laughs> it was just <laughs> one mean, of those it, it was true. one of those moments but I, I i i he he reiterated that for me but i've i've, I've been married since i was 23 I oh have, have four, you i have four kids so it's like, wow! I've never had illusions about that. And the second one is starting to consume the other, distract from the other. Um, I, I try to keep that in check best I can. And having the Sabbath, the Shabbos as we call it, is a great protection shield. So I don't look at it as a sacrifice. I look at it as a shield from uh, things that are of less importance and less priority. To protect the things that are most important.
1: That's a great discernment of yeah. not looking at it as a sacrifice. That reminds me of what you said earlier about not apologizing for taking time off, mm-hmm. because the act of doing it implies a, a frame mm-hmm. that you have to ask for permission. Correct. And you treating the Sabbath like a sacrifice mm-hmm. implies a frame that w- what you're giving up is more important than what you're yeah, getting. Correct. And I don't like. I, yeah,
0: I don't look at it that way. I look at it as as protection.
1: Yeah, you know? it's really like a gift. Yeah. Yeah, is, is you get to have that time. Yes. So I'll arrange for your circumcision and your conversion
0: after this pod. We're going to do great.
1: We're going to you're going to make a fine Jew. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> um,
0: yeah, and you asked a big question about God. Now, I don't have yeah. answers about that as far as, you know, in in Judaism in particular, all I can tell you is it's a lot there's a lot there's a lot of a more of a focus on on actions and rituals and practice that are involved in the human to human level mm. and the theological questions about God I'm not saying they're not important. They're really like essential to the underlying of it all. But a lot of it is focused on the, you know, the human to human things that we do. Um, as far as the ideas of God, you know, it's an abstract idea. Um, for me, I'm a little more intellectually driven as far as uh, yeah. being inspired by that. But the idea of a higher consciousness that is immaterial that binds everybody. This sense that there is more than just material, cellular, biological existence, that there is some sort of spirit or consciousness that is above us, that is above, you know, the idea of morality between human beings. We're getting really in the woods here, but it's not something that is just human-generated and a system that we all opt into. There is something, you know, above that and or to orient yourself toward that, even just the idea itself is, as something that is somewhat tangible. It's, Jordan Peterson has an interesting definition where you know, I act in, as though a, a, a God exists because, you know, you'll find... Russell Brand has said, like, if you don't believe in the one true God, you'll find your gods in other places. Yes. So it's a way to sort of...
1: We kind of have a need yeah, to act religiously about
0: something. In something. You know, there yeah. is, we, there's this natural, weird design inclination to look up and f- seek out this higher uh, consciousness that is there. So... Th- I, otherwise, I don't know if I'm giving doing disservice yeah. to a definition, but I do I do subscribe to that atheistic view of the universe and of existence more than just. Even though I think you know, I've I've obviously I parody a lot of the atheist intellectuals, and I know all of that stuff and a lot of that right. literature, and I followed it for one time, and I'm interested. It's an interesting conversation, but um, you know, ultimately, yeah, everyone's just trying to take their best guess as to what's going on here, and I come from such a rich. Jewish tradition that my experience there, having been a positive, good one, and seeing the value and utility derived from it has informed my sort of outlook on
1: existence. (laughs) I feel that. Yeah. Does your wife align with your values? Did you guys align when you first met?
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think that's pretty essential uh, in a marriage is the values part is like pretty important.
1: You would think so, but you hear about a lot of people that- Get married and have very different values and it doesn't work out, And you think, Wow, why isn't that more commonplace to actually be? Well, you said it doesn't work out, or it does work out, but right, it doesn't work out, right? Right, yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, I think go. the
0: values having some having the same values is probably was it strictly
1: religious values, part. or was it like did you talk about like before you got married, was there like long conversations about money and things like that, or was it just no? We both well, you know, when
0: you come from my community, they tend to get married on the younger side, tend mm-hmm. to not always, but um. It's already an assumed thing because you're both from the same community, raised in similar schools with similar values and communities. There's a there's an understanding that's already baked into the cake a little bit as to where you come from. So we were fortunate to have come from similar backgrounds. So, you know, having to articulate all that, there's sort of a given as to where you're gonna be and what kind of life and children you wanna raise and where you wanna live, where you wanna send them to school. Um, we didn't like meet from random as like total strangers, even though when we actually finally like got married like you know it was it, we were familiar with each other uh in terms of
1: background and community right right you know, right even
0: even at an early early stages
1: what have you learned from marriage bro what have i learned from marriage yeah what what are some good lessons from marriage and what do you want to know <laughs> what what feels important to share um you, i don't know
0: uh trying to think. I mean, there's a lot of things, but obviously the shared values part and, and, uh, you know, I think a lot of people like you described on a serious note, there's an oversaturation of options and choices and that ends up leading you to a lost chaotic place. And there is a, I don't want to sound like one of these relationship expert gurus, but for a lot of people, there's a lot of overthinking involved in Dating, I think. I you know, I didn't spend too much time I we you know dating other people are in that dating world. So I can't really speak to it, but I do see a lot of this overthinking past the you know, past the point of well, we have the same values and we kind of want we project this a a life that we want to live, but but I don't know. How can you be certain people are looking for a sort of certainty
1: Mm.
0: and to quote our man, JP, Jordan Peterson's advice on marriage. I'll channel him a little bit. I don't even have to do the impression, but I will. Um, <laughs> Please. You know, it's not about uh, it's not about the life you have. It's about uh, the life you will build mm. together. So you have to orient yourself towards the same direction and build something together. And that's how you form a strong marriage. It's not something like that you just kind of, you know, past the romantic early stages of a relationship, you are building something together. And to be aligned and building something together that's the important thing, and of course, the hang and the rapport and the chemistry—that's all very important. Yeah, having being able to enjoy each other's company and laugh together and have that similar vibe—that's super important. Because Jordan Peterson has said, like, life isn't margaritas on the beach. You know, it's how your wife greets you at the door. You get that right, you got eighty percent of your life together. You know, um, <laughs> it's basically the day to day is the important stuff. Like, I think finding finding uh, you know joy in the mundane. Yes. Is is where, like a, a healthy, good relationship lies. Like the
1: day to day. I agree because oh, that's what you actually experience. The greeting at the door actually is something you feel all. The getting time.
0: married, the wedding, the highlights, the big milestones yeah. are all good. But as we grow up, you kind of learn that all that stuff is kind of surreal. And you know, your present self experiencing it is confronted with your past self of what it would be like, and it's never the same. Yeah, how you imagine an experience would be—that's hyped up it is never the same as how it actually is yeah. and after you go through that a few times you're like oh, i thought it would feel this way but then the but this this experience this this milestone i thought would be like this it's first child first wedding all that kind of stuff but the day to day stuff and finding joy and meaning in that and an appreciation for that is really important and having someone that you can experience mundane things with is like a, a drive somewhere or the daily grind of just life and raising children, like finding joy and not and not taking that for granted yes. is super important. And uh, you, yeah, know, you can and, and never give beauty an- in those moments. In yeah, yeah, those little moments. And never give yeah. advice if there's a problem. Never give advice. Just be sympathetic. That's, empathetic. That's the that's
1: that's a that's a little nugget. That's a great nugget if for guys. Yeah.
0: If if you know if if something is wrong or stressful, don't guys are tempted to give advice and say, okay, well maybe you should have done it this way. But that is seen as usually a rejection of the stress. And not acknowledging that's stressful. So just be listening and empathetic. Go for empathy over advice if you want one of those little nuggets. Empathy over advice tends to be effective. And in general, yeah. So it's like finding joy in those mundane day to day things and having a general macro sense of values that you both orient yourself to and building that life together. That's like the general thing.
1: You know, I think that's something
0: it, you're going towards. Then you're it, building it, the, it, the ideal. If you're getting married to someone who says, yeah, I never want kids and you want kids. Not a good thing because maybe the first five years will be good and then you will reach a point where yeah. well I told you know, you know, that's that's gonna cause problems. But so having a general sense of the macro
1: and then um what about with kids? Because that's yeah. something I, I'm entering a phase now where I don't have kids yet, but mm-hmm. I feel like I want kids. Like yeah. I, I it's the urge is speaking to me. Like I have visions of it now. I'm like, I would like to build a family at some point. Yes, relatively soon. You know yeah. what I mean? Like within the next five years, I'd right. like that process to start. And, um, I think a lot of people have this, this incorrect vision of families, like taking away the fun, like, Oh, you have a family and then there goes your dreams. It's mm-hmm. like, well, I mean, maybe for some people, like some people can't open a restaurant. And other people have a whole chain of restaurants. It's no, like, no, no, they kill your dreams.
0: <laughs> it's the worst.
1: I'm just kidding. I hear at, you. And how old were you when you first had your kid? 27. Okay. And was, did it have a big dramatic impact on what impact did it have on your career? Mm-hmm. Positive or negative? Oh, I mean, it lights a fire under you a little bit as far as career, but no,
0: no, kids, kids, most people like the reason people, the kids get a bad rap is because people vent in public about the bad stuff Mm. and they don't share the joyous private stuff that's happening most of the time, a lot of the time. Yeah. There's two things I think wrong. People perceive the idea of parenting as sacrificial, Mm. like I'm giving up my priorities and preferences for the sake of someone else. Which I think is the wrong way to look at it. I think you should have kids selfishly because they provide such a profound, deep, fulfilling sense of joy and meaning to your life, and you want that. And the idea of raising children is of, is of high value to you, not of something that is replacing or sacrificing something else to the altar of your other dreams. Like this is a dream too. This is one of the dreams of anything that's. And like I said before, in terms of priorities and values, it's the most important one. Yeah. So. You know, it's one of the best parts of being alive, for my opinion. I can't say it's for everybody, but it's like one of the best parts of being alive is having children. It's an amazing thing, and a lot of people, when they get together, they vent about how difficult it is. But most things that are worth it are difficult. It's okay. Like difficulty is a part of
1: joy yeah. as well. You could vent about going to the beach. Like it was a long walk from the parking lot. Yeah, like, when, yeah.
0: <laughs> when people who don't have kids hang out with people who have kids, oftentimes they're witnessing conflict. Why? because they're hanging out with somebody who wants to hang out with them, but they have kids with them at the same time. So they're like conflicted with the attention. They're trying to like keep their kids in check and trying to hang out with... So people get this bad taste in their mouth of like, oh, that looks really... That looks like something I don't want. But what they don't see is like the times at home that are like, like you know, a smile from your child or a hug or all the kinds of things that are deeply meaningful, but they're happening in the in the confines of the home, hopefully. And, and that's what gives life its meaning in a way that that you're not going to go outside and just talk about how wonderful it is to your friends all the time. Sometimes misery loves company and people vent to each other about this and that and this and that. So people, I think a lot of the negative or difficult or stressful sides of parenting get broadcasted a lot. And a lot of the wonderful, me- meaningful, fulfilling
1: parts of it are more like aren- private. They just happen. They just are. They're yeah. they're
0: happening, and people aren't seeing it and, or appreciating it. And maybe you got maybe that narrative needs to change a little bit. But I don't know. I'm not out there to try to preach it. I'm just saying that there's so much more. Hopefully for me, certainly, but hopefully for a lot of people, disproportionate amounts of just like incredible joy and profound fulfill fulfillment that gives life its meaning with children. That is that makes other, th- other things just pale in comparison, career accomplishments, things like that, they hit a certain thing. But with kids, it's like at a level that's hard to describe at how, at how meaningful and fulfilling it really is. And I don't think that gets really discussed or talked about.
1: That's beautiful. You know? And I mean, look at you. You've been creatively prolific yeah. with kids. Yeah, exactly. So yeah, you got to
0: find the balance and still do it. But, uh, but yeah, no, I never really felt that conflict at all.
1: Yeah, well, um, I think growing up in a community that supports that idea is important. Yeah,
0: totally. Yeah. <coughs> and also, obviously, yeah, socially mm-hmm. speaking, when you're amongst a community that's very uh, mm-hmm. child centric and child focused, like it's your, it's on part of a community and everybody has lots of kids and it's the best. They're the best. They're adorable. They have to be adorable. Otherwise, you'd kill them, you know? It's like <laughs> an evolutionary thing. You, we are wired to want to have and create and make children. Like that's just part of it. So, yeah,
1: yeah. <laughs> I agree. I agree. I feel that way too. And I'm, and I definitely feel that. I don't know, paternal need mm-hmm. just, just yeah. popping up. You I feel know? like after this podcast, you're going to become Jewish <laughs> and have six kids within a year. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah, because I, I don't see it as a detriment to my dreams. You mm-hmm. know, I have friends that are like a DJ married couple that have kids. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? they go travel the world and they go, and I'm like, okay, well, they can do that. It's, you know, like I've seen, like I just got into snowboarding, and I see like three year olds snowboarding with their family, and like,
0: oh, do you remember when you, were, you remember when you were like in second grade or high school, and you found like a college textbook, and you were like, oh my god, I'm never going to be able to understand this. It seems like you know, right? Then you get to college, and you're like oh, that's what this was that scared me. Now I get it because I'm, I've worked my way up to this. Right. You know what I mean? So sometimes when you perceive somebody with like three kids and there's a mess and a whole thing, you're really not getting the full context. You're just seeing a snapshot. Right, of them like not
1: carrying the bag right. Yeah, and too of, many, of yeah. somebody
0: in a stage of life that seems to you to be something you cannot handle or tackle or, or is well beyond your pay grade because you're not at that point. You're not there where they are. When you get to that point, which ha- you go through that process, then you find yourself in that position. You're like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, then you get, you know,
1: yeah. yeah, I mean, then, I used to I used to film a lot of extreme sports. Yeah, and you know people get injured all the time. Yeah, and and if somebody just saw them when they're injured, they would be like, why would you ever want to do that? Mm-hmm. Breaking your ankle, but right? Really, they, they loved love it. It's the part of it. That's just yes. like it happens sometimes. But so
0: it's hard to you judge snapshots. Just even when you're seeing somebody, the, the, the same token, when you're seeing somebody killing it, you're seeing a snapshot. You're only seeing the highlight reels, so you never really know what's going on. You know, like right. I think social media broadcasts people's highlighted life of the highlights and they don't see that when the camera shuts off, who knows what's going on. And by the same token, on the negative side, you're seeing someone that looks like they're completely in a mess or stressed and it looks like something you don't want, but who knows? Maybe they're winning.
1: Yeah. What you does know? winning mean to you? What does winning mean? Yeah, at this Process. stage of your life. Yeah. Gratitude. Um, <laughs> but really, though, I feel yeah. like
0: I've been describing it in yeah. like one way or another. Um,
1: but... Uh, you know, I think there's well, professional winning. Yeah, let me ask you the more And specific, there's personal winning. Okay, professional yeah. winning. Would you want to get to the point where you're not doing any more service work and it's just your original work?
0: Um, oh, good question. You know, I, I'm i grateful that even the service work is really cool and fulfilling. Like, I think at its base level, if you love what you're doing and it's has an element of fun and excitingness and creativity to it, you know, I'm not doing those things so that I could get more notoriety or fame or anything like that. It's reversed the notoriety and fame or, or being more well-known in any capacity. So long as it helps fuel and allow for me to make these things that I enjoy making, that's the win. Yes. It's not like I want to do all this so that everybody knows me or whatever. I mean, That's kind of, there. there's a niceness to that. There's also a cost to that. Mm -hmm. And the people who I really care about knowing me are the people in my life, like in my actual life, my friends, family. Those are the more, those are the relationships I need to cultivate and maintain. Those are the things that take priority. Everybody else knowing me can be a positive byproduct of something that allows me to do the professional work I want to do. Comedy, music, um, uh, media, creating all these things and being creative to, to whatever extent, being known and having an audience allows me to keep doing that. That's the win. As long as I get to make this, and to the extent that that grows and allows me to make it at a higher level, uh, at a higher scale, that's the win. It's not-
1: it's, Dude, it's, I, it's, I couldn't agree more. You know? It's the feeling of being in the process of creating, yeah. being in the moment. So because, if you love yeah. that,
0: and I think in influencer culture, it's a lot of people who are trying to get famous for famous sake, because yeah. what, what are they doing? I'm not knocking it, but- if people are just chasing, like you'll get, there's an infinite number of followers you can have or subscribers. And if you're just chasing that feeling of being known, but you don't love the work it takes to get there, that seems like a recipe for disaster. It, for me, it's always been, hey, at its base level, I'm organizing a bunch of sounds. And somebody likes it enough to use it in a show or it works in this scene. There's a satisfaction that when you see your music work in a scene that is hard to describe or see your music work on stage for an audience or see your music recorded and put into a record that everyone can listen to or make a sketch that people are laughing at and enjoying or performing on stage and making them laugh. Like Those are what you're after and you want to sustain that and grow it as much as you can to be able to keep doing it.
1: I agree completely. That's winning. Because especially at this point process. <laughs> yeah. At this point we know we can materialize projects. Yeah. So it's about staying in a in a rejuvenating state of creativity. Right. Mm-hmm. Like I know I've mentioned snowboarding a bunch of times because I just got into it, but like right. I'm gonna spend so much time doing it mm-hmm. this coming season. Because it also helps with my creativity to actually mm-hmm. have like an adventure I do in the morning yeah. and then go and create at night, right? So it's not about creating every single second of the day. Yeah. Sometimes it's, no, let me go spend time with my family. Mm-hmm. That feels great. And yeah. then I'm more filled up to go create, right? Yeah. It's I just want to continue designing my life to, to power that feeling, right? Of connecting and creating nonstop. Mm-hmm. And then whatever projects materialize, will materialize. If you don't enjoy the process on the way to anything, like you'll spend most of your
0: time in something you really don't enjoy or get anything out of. And then the goals you accomplish along the way will be fleeting and kind of meaningless because life demonstrates that when you hit those marks, they're really important for like anchor points that you're going along the way. And of course, I wouldn't, you need them, but they're not
1: the reason to do it. Yes. You know? Yeah, it's to enjoy the process. and it's, it it's, it's so, because it. It, it, you hear it so much, like, enjoy the process. But it mm-hmm. really is that. Yeah. Like, like the recording this, this feels fun. Mm-hmm. Like, these conversations are great for me. Mm-hmm. You know? And, 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 like, I enjoy it. Like, I usually, at the end of a podcast, I have more energy than at the beginning. Like, I'm, like, I'm super inspired. And then I'll go in the studio and make something, right? Yeah. It, it, it feels good. Yes. And one of the things I keep thinking about of my desire to have kids one day is shaping their education. Mm-hmm. How hands on are you in your kids education it like inter- is it just picking a good school or are you also like hmm they need to learn these principles in life and we should Somehow, like, at what point are you involved? Now that's like Patrick Ben David. Right, every day I wake my kids up at <laughs> three in the morning, right, and I make them read
0: three three chapters before they can go back to sleep. That's what I do. And let me tell you what works in the Ben David household. Okay, four chapters a day of a self help book, and then they have to do exercise. Then they get to go back to sleep for thirty minutes. Okay, then they fall asleep the next day in class. That's okay because they need a recharge. That's how they do it. And that's how they. Blah, 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 blah. Um, I think well, you know, <laughs> to it. you, it's the same thing as you know because I come from an Orthodox Jewish community that informs a lot of those decisions already. There are Orthodox Jewish schools. It's a whole infrastructure in place. Right. So. So they're, they, my kids get a dual curriculum of Jewish religious studies and uh, secular studies. And there's Is a there whole, much
1: beyond that that you want to teach them that isn't in that system?
0: You know, um, that system is pretty worked out and established um, for a lot of uh, values that get transmitted. Um, and in the home, you know, I think kids really learn vicariously. You know, they don't. You don't sit them down with a lesson plan on principles of hard work. As they get older, that may change. But when they're young, and and I think still as a tried and true thing, it's the things you see your parents do that transmit, rather than what they tell you. Right. When you see your parents acting a certain way, have work ethic, have discipline, and seeing the results of that within a household, uh, respect, patience, um, hard work, uh, any other kinds of values you want to transmit by. By demonstrating it, the vicarious learning that kids pick up on, I think, are probably the most powerful thing you can do. So being the best version of yourself is the greatest teacher to your
1: kids. And then along the way, there are certain things, of course, you want to transmit and reiterate. um, Do you think it's um, part of your responsibility to your kids to also continue following your dreams to show them that you're not... Because I see a lot of... I've heard stories of parents saying, like, you know, I gave up everything I wanted for the kids. And mm -hmm. it feels like that's a bad example to be setting. You're, uh, unless you absolutely had to, you, like to, to do it with that throwing that guilt on them,
0: you you have a p- responsibility to like be the best version of yourself you can, so you're not like a resentful, bitter right person, and that you don't want to take out things on your children that have nothing to do with them and that they didn't deserve or whatever. So, trying to be the best version of yourself in all ways, taking care of yourself. Is obviously a service to your children, so that you can. You know, but you can't have it so that uh, things consume you to the point where you're not present. So it's a balance, right? Um, but
1: that's why I, the Sabbath comes in handy? Sure, absolutely. So I, yeah. I, I
0: would say that it, you know, if you look at it through the framework of I have to do this because I can't let you down, and that's I don't know if that's really the the most healthy motivator. It's more like I I want to be the best version of myself in all capacities. So that I'm, and that includes being the best father. So, you know, making sure that everything is sort of one hand washes the other, uh, is, is a better approach to making sure that, you know, you're being the best parent. And, you know, I think it's, my kids get to come into the studio with me sometimes and see, make music and seeing that kind of inspiring creativity and all of that, but it, it is nice and fun. And, but they don't have to be me. Um, but I do, I do like transmitting the idea that, uh, um, you know, if you have creativity, pursue it. But also, just make sure that the hard work is involved and right. and and understanding that is uh, is
1: something I I hope transmits to,
0: to the kids for sure.
1: And w- what if they wanted to not be in the same religion anymore? Is that even nah. an option? That
0: would be a little tough, I would say. You know, because one of the things you're trying to do is pass down these traditions and uh, from the culture, from the religion and practices to to your children so that it has continuity cuz the continuity is a big value within my yeah. culture and religion um, so the best thing i can do is is provide a an experience for them that makes them that makes right. me not want they, they makes them want to have want to do it without having to please me it's just something that they see as a value for them.
1: Right, um, like not just an intellectual thought of like, yeah, keep it going, but yeah. they, they should experience it to where they should feel like and this should, stuff needs to keep going. Needs to
0: add, it needs to something that they value, so that's my job too, is to that it can be something that they will continue to take with them and value. Obviously, there's nothing that will compromise my love and you know dedication as a parent to them. It, they have their own life, and I know that, and they yeah. will eventually you know go their own way, but I'm hoping that, can provide the most uh, that, that whatever the practices that we do and the life that we live is something they'd want to, that would transmit and that they'd want to take with them.
1: Like you were saying vicariously, like just yeah. through example, through mm-hmm. actually living it. Yeah. yeah. What are you most excited for and worried about for your kids in their future? Mm. You
0: know, it's
1: very hard. It's
0: hard to watch your kids struggle and deal with challenges, and it's also necessary for them to do so. So, where to draw the line of, of how hands-on to be with something versus, how um, versus letting them go through something difficult? That's going to be a hard balance for sure. Uh, to not step in and be the savior, dad, be the overbearing father or mother that is not. Because um, if you do things for them too much, you know you don't prepare them for the world. So. They need to go out into the world and face difficulty. And as a parent, it's so hard to watch that, uh, to watch your kids struggle with anything or stress or whatever it may be. But it's necessary for them. Mm. You know, they—they, they, you're not doing them any favors by pre- overprotecting them. Right. You know? So um, it's a fine line. Yeah. So whenever there's busy traffic, I say run, run, run. <laughs> so obviously, when they're little, it's different. But as they get older, it's it's harder and harder because they're your children, and you have this natural instinct to protect.
1: Well, especially because you work so hard to build up a family to be able yeah. to provide and protect for your family and you want to set them up to win. Yeah. But how much of it is too much of a setup?
0: Well, and how much of the things you're doing are so that you can feel okay, even if it's not in their best interest, you right. know, so that you can feel comfortable, so that you can feel, oh, like you don't want to feel that pain or difficulty or stress or worry. Oftentimes, you know, parents will do things so that it, it, it assuages and, and and calms them and their
1: anxiety. Even at the expense of their children's well-being, even that's, though they think, even surface level, for the kids. It's really more yeah, for them. It yeah, could be, and identifying
0: yeah. that as they get older is always challenging. And uh, hoping you did the, a, a good enough job that they have enough judgment to make decisions themselves and make mistakes themselves and things like that. That that I can see they're young now, but it, as it gets older, it's it's something that's hard. You know, like when they go off on their own and go their own way. That's 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 going to be hard.
1: Yeah, um, absolutely. Because you
0: come from having to do everything for them from feeding them, dressing them and like evolving as they get older and adjusting your your parenting approach is no one has it
1: fully figured out, you know? Some, and I bet if you have kids of different ages, you're like yeah. on stage one with this kid, but yeah. stage four with that kid. And so different have to...
0: generations have done it differently. You know, yeah. my grandparents were really firm and really tough, uh, immigrants and whatnot. And then my parents' generation, were more, you know, a lot of them were much more hands-off and finding the balance is, uh, is tricky. You what know? are you so most excited say. about for them? For my kids?
1: Yeah.
0: Um... You know, as they, I mean, you kind of know what's coming. So the feeling is not excitement. It's it's like not dread. It's like oh, there's that mix of joy and nostalgic pain because you kind of know what they're going into, Mm. into the phases of life. You've done it already. So to be on the other side of the curtain watching is hard. It's kind of like knowing the movie. You're like, don't go there. Oh, she's going there. I've been there. He's going there. Ah, Okay, okay. And you kind of have to sometimes be a spectator. So, I don't know, as a parent, you're just living with this constant, like, joy and nostalgia, bittersweet feeling, like, hearing a song that, like, it it, it hits that side of you constantly, you're living in this constant state of, like, I've made this video and so about it, it was like, you know, my kids are, like, I'm, I'm now, the way I exist is, like, I'm in the future memories of my children. You know when they look at me? Wow. Like I'm living in their future memories. Like the That's way That's a trippy way to say it. Trippy. But I remember I took them like I took them snowboarding for for a thing. They were getting like snowboarding at this thing and nice. brought them hot chocolate, did this whole thing. We had a great time. But I can see like you see yourself. Like you have this weird mirror going back and forth. It's like I remember like they're looking at me as like Youngish dad doing this thing and like I'm right now right now in their future memories. They're gonna look back on this remember when we and I'm like and this this weird trip that happens, you know, and it's a combination of pain and nostalgia and joy all existing together and it's powerful and you feel it like all the time <laughs> and more and more with especially in, in the mundane. All I did was take them snowboarding but like yeah, I know like I kind of because I did this because I've been a kid with parents like, they don't even know. They don't even think about How significant
1: about it. those moments are.
0: I, I, they don't know that when they're 20 or 50, whatever, 15, 20, or 30, they'll, like, remember this in a specific way, you know, and, like, you're, like, in it.
1: You're, scary. like, in the rough draft of their lives, kind of Yeah, yeah. It's like it, you're just buildings. living
0: in there, and you're, like, whoa, this is, okay, like, is that, is, am I, like, you know, you're, it's a weird warped feeling, and it happens quite a lot if you're, like, tapped into it a little
1: bit, you know? It seems trippy, but necessary. They're just yeah. a part of the whole experience. Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. So it's fun. It's great. It's great, and it's real. It's as real as things can get. You know, children. Yeah. Ch- children bring you into a reality that's that, that is, you know, crystal like clarifying and crystallizing, and, in terms of what's important and what's whatever. Like I said before about priorities, like it just brings you into this reality because before they formed personas and public personas of, of the world and identities, yeah. even it's like it's just just real you know? So let's sit with that for a minute. Wow. <laughs> That's
1: like the ultimate creative project. Yeah. I mean, yeah. it literally is.
0: Yeah, yeah. Yeah.
1: Once I start posting them, it's going to be amazing. They are going to go so viral. <laughs> no, I, I really avoid that with them. So do you and your wife have a, a, like a social media rule with the kids? Like, are they allowed to, are there a certain things? How old are they, by the way?
0: Um, they're, they're young, you know, like, uh, under, under 10.
1: Okay. Yeah. Do you restrict um, what they watch? Uh, social media, they don't do it at
0: all, at least right now. They don't have phones yet or anything oh, like that. Yeah. Oh, that's great. Oh, uh, so they don't even, they're yeah. not even scrolling. But, they don't uh, they're savvy enough. You know, they'll have, you know, they have, uh, you know, the, we, we, we try to limit screen time and things like that, but it's hard to avoid because sometimes you also need to break his parents and things yeah. like that.
1: They'll find an iPad and. It's more to develop something. a healthy
0: relationship with it and healthy self esteem within them so that any of the pitfalls <laughs> on social media that will inevitably come yeah. won't a- affect them. To the, to the detriment that it does at so many people. I think I'm, I, we are gonna be conscious of it, but it's also hard, a hard beast to fight. Technology is always like, you're always embattled with it. So how to be able to have a healthy relationship with it is something we're conscious of. And they're too young right now to face it, but like it comes up quick. People are getting their kids, like eight year olds phones and it's like nuts. So, you know. Do you have we'll a set time of phone.
1: when you wanna give them phones or are you gonna try to push it back as far as you can?
0: 23, 24, <laughs> you know, <laughs> flip phones. Flip phones, remember, I flip remember phones? those? They'll flip, they'll get a razor and they'll text. I used to have the sidekick. T three, T nine, text. That's it. Uh, no set time really. It's kind of a judgment call. You try to try to figure it out, but um, when they're like at age where like they're going to be not around us, if like the teenage years and like need to be in touch, like I think you can kind of figure that out. But yeah. again, it is it is it is a concern. It is something to be mindful of. We're not sleeping on it. We're like it is something you're conscious of.
1: When, and I started to hop on this so long. I'm just so interested in the subject. Yeah. It, when you first had them, the whole no sleep thing, how mm-hmm. real was that?
0: Um, You know, our first baby was really an angel baby. She just
1: slept pretty well.
0: But I don't know. You just kind of do it. You know, you do like you didn't sleep in college either. Right. You were an animal.
1: Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Yeah. There's a lot of times I don't sleep just because I'm working you later or whatever. S- yeah. You sleep
0: when the baby sleeps and then you get used to a little bit less, but you know, after, it's like the first couple months have their hardships, but they also have their magical moments too. So, yeah, yeah. And look, if we were lucky that like, you know, our kids were a little bit maybe easier than typical in some ways, but, you know, everything looks harder from afar. And then when you're in it, you're in it, and you're in it, you know, like you'd get through it. Yeah, and people Pe- have figured it out long people, ago people do way it. less. Yes, people do it. Yeah. So like, yes, you're looking at this perception, this narrative, oh my God, I'm never going to sleep again, but I don't know, babies. Infants sleep tons. They just sleep like during the day for hours upon hours. Right. You just got to get the time. Take a nap,
1: stop complaining, and wake up at 4.30 and work out. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) You know? Are you optimistic for the future in general?
0: Yeah, I tend to lean more optimistic temperamentally. Um, There's always catastrophic things about everything, and it always tends to... What's there's a phrase, I think a Stephen Pinker phrase or something, where people think everything is always getting worse and it tends to be getting better. But everyone always thinks it's getting worse. If you yeah. look at a lot of things, you know, you just have to be careful. Everything is a double edged sword and everything has costs but has benefits too. So I'm I'm generally optimistic temper, temperamentally.
1: Me too. You know? Me too. I think we're just more aware of bad things that are happening. Mm-hmm. But they were always happening and I think the further we go back in time, there were more bad things happening at a greater scale. Of course. You know, and, and at least as an immigrant, I find it, this is like one of the best times to be alive. Right, You know, like being here in America, being able to create, mm-hmm. we're not currently in a war here, right? right. There's people in wars right now, just somewhere else, yeah. right? And I feel like immigrants appreciate America more than most Americans do. Of
0: course.
1: You know, yeah, it, yeah. It's, it's for all its faults. I mean, this is the place to be. Right. You know, people aren't breaking their backs to get to Cuba. They're breaking their backs. I have family in Cuba. They're trying mm-hmm. to come over here.
0: Yeah, having, having good perspective on that, I think is is healthy and true, and I lean that way absolutely.
1: Yeah, yeah. Um, I've even heard people use that as a potential argument to say, "Don't have kids." To say, "Oh, the world's fucked up, don't have kids." Well, first of all, I don't think it is. Mm-hmm. But let's say even if it was, that's uh, make kids have them fix that's it. That's a like, very
0: nihilistic, yeah. awful, awful view of existence to me. I think
1: I agree. Um,
0: in hard times, have kids. In bad, in good times, have kids. Like, you know, are you kidding me? It's just, a, it's a, it's a. Definitively anti-human sentiment, I think it is. There's a disdain and, and, for humanity on the far woke uh, whatever side, and I think that's really disturbing.
1: It is disturbing, and in, and you see it subtly, if not explicitly, in so much of the culture. Yeah, right. Even in the undertones of what the way certain TV characters describe their lives. Yeah, yeah. And yeah. You, there's this undertone of just anti-human. Absolutely. Yeah. Same anti not, children, anti
0: human. I'm like, what on earth? That is just despicable world world view. In my view,
1: I agree completely. You know, yeah, so. it, it's it's, and that's why last week when I went to visit my family, I felt so optimistic again. Because I mean, I'm generally more optimistic, but being around them in person, oh yeah, this is we're a very positive family. Mm-hmm. We see, we're aware. We don't, we're not blind to what's f- going on, but mm-hmm. we know. Yeah, things are pretty good. Right. <laughs> we risk our lives coming over here for a reason. You I, know, my, and my, and, my and, grandparents yeah.
0: are Holocaust survivors on both sides. Things, wow. are, things are pretty good
1: now. <laughs> did you yeah. ever get to meet them? Yeah, of course. Really? Yeah. Did Sur- you survivors? They made it okay. <laughs> right. But 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 did you have? Yeah, I I, I knew them both. One old, old. Were you old enough to have intellectual conversations with them, or just like hey? Well, on one side, their English
0: wasn't great. They were real immigrants, uh,
1: um, and like you know, they were a little even
0: older. So like one of my one side was a little younger. But yeah, I had a a long relationship with. On my mom's side, like they, you know, well until into like till I think my grandfather passed away in twenty. What is it, sixteen, thirteen, fourteen, maybe something like that. So he lived to like ninety four. But yeah, wow, never really got into the details of their experience. Um,
1: Were there any extrapolated takeaways from it? It was always a given. You know about it growing up very early on. What 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 happened? You know, I I mean, did they have any personal things to say? from having survived it like a, a perspective change or a priority should, I don't know just I, yeah. I'm trying to think like like how would that conversation even go cuz I'm What's, trying to imagine if my grandparents have gone through something like that yeah. what question would I even ask them well when you grow up with it it's
0: all very implicit not very explicit mm. I mean they came and had lost entire families siblings parents even wives and children from before so I think the actions and it was not they're not a very like culturally, in those days, emotional intuition and articulation was not a thing. You didn't discuss you didn't discuss baggage. You didn't discuss
1: trauma. Right. It wasn't discussed. It's it wasn't just it's embedded into your personality. And, and then, it just, yeah. it's just it's
0: not something you speak about. You don't speak about that. I think very private in a lot of those in, in that way, the European, you know, like approach. Like it was it, it was very private. And, but it's a lot of implicit stuff that you kind of understand as to what happened. Yeah. And the actions of getting remarried and building new families and starting new communities and wow. schools and stuff is the testament to the, to fighting back, you know, by doing all those things and rebuilding and then having children who worked really hard and became successful and built families of their own. And, you know, we're, we're all, you're just, you're completely immersed in that constantly of reminders of that out Of the ashes of this and rebuilding, that's a big part of the culture. Um, that's yeah. beautiful.
1: It's great that you got to meet them.
0: Yeah. And, yeah, yeah, and yeah, talk yeah.
1: with them, even from a, vibrationally to, to yeah. be around somebody who survived so much trauma yeah. and then found a way to transmute that into still being positive afterwards mm-hmm. saying, well, we have to rebuild. Yeah, it's so second
0: nature. You don't even, I mean, you know, it, you, as an adult, when you get older and you have kids of your own and stuff, you kind of appreciated it from a different angle. When you just grow up with it as a given, it's just that's what your life is. Like, yeah, that's, they were there, you know, you kind of, have, on a very, childlike understanding of things but it's it's just there you know
1: yeah yeah as a a given part of your history can't imagine the amount of resilience it takes to even be optimistic enough to start a new family after something like that happens yeah yeah
0: but then when you hear start to hear how like things are worse than they've ever been you're like "Mm, been a little
1: worse (laughs) (laughs) exactly and that's even in recent history that's exactly
0: so back to that point you start to go give a little well not as bad (laughs) yeah you know gives you some it definitely gives you perspective and appreciation for when times are prosperous and tolerant and good absolutely you know? that but it puts, just, it, also, it also puts that alarm in your head to be mindful of when things start to take a turn so like you're hypersensitive to it that's to, how bad they could get yeah and like signs of bad signs of per, of, of ugly things and ugly ideas and yeah. you know uh, you get sensitive to that so there's a sensitivity but you can't lose the appreciation for the progress
1: I agree completely because otherwise what are we doing it for if we can't be proud of of how much better it's getting Mm -hmm. exactly exactly yeah wow it's crazy that that feels like it was so long ago but there's people alive like people alive that walk with Martin Luther King yeah yeah (laughs) (laughs) it wasn't that long ago that's the thing so things well
0: so there's always that concern things can change as quickly as you know on a dime so you have to just be mindful but again being mindful and being grateful can exist together
1: they absolutely can Yeah, yeah. Wow. Let me <laughs> sit with that for a second. That's that's just powerful when you really just reflect on it.
0: Yes. Well, in your conversion to Judaism, you have to have some Holocaust education. So uh, we're working on it.
1: Yeah. <laughs> in well, you, in the your way the, the way you're you're describing uh, the community and the education and the mm-hmm. systems within the Jewish community that help mm-hmm. pass on these values and even set up the kids in the right way, it feels. Um, <clears throat> I know it's so, so simple. I don't know why I never thought about this. Like how convenient that works that like you don't have to sit there and piece together a whole class curriculum for your kids right? or wonder well, what is the teacher telling them? It's, it's there.
0: Yeah, you amongst, guys have a system. Amongst the chaos of a, any which way you can live your life, it's definitely helps ground you and set up because being part of a community, I've never taken that for granted of like orienting yourself towards something. Yeah. it orients you.
1: Because okay. secularly, I, you know, I start, you know, I believe in God, but I haven't specifically joined, quote unquote, a team, a religious team, so to speak. Right. But I, I definitely feel a connection with God and believe in God. And, mm-hmm. and I was just, even when I was talking with my friends about the idea of having kids, I, I, in my head, I start putting together curriculums. Right, right. of like, hmm, I would want them to learn this, but this value and this value, and it feels so like I'd have to custom make it. Ad hoc, you know? Yeah, like I almost thought like they'd have to be like homeschool or create like a little monastery with my friends that all have the same values. (laughs) Have you found, have you tried (laughs) PragerU? You know, and it's like, I was literally thinking about it it being this whole logistical project of making sure that they're educated in the values that I care about, and then the way you're describing it for your kids, I'm like, oh, yeah, well, of course, they... Mm -hmm. You yeah. guys have the tribe already the, handling the that. The infrastructure it's is implied. There.
0: Totally grateful for it, for sure, because I don't know what I would do without it as far as all these big fundamental decisions to make of where to live and where to raise kids and all that. This is all kind of there, and that's a huge utility and value to,
1: to have that. That's what Jordan says too, right? He even says to the yeah. people that are atheists, he said, you know, think about just the, the, the power of community. Mm-hmm of like you belong to something that you have a sense of shared values towards a, a certain yeah. north star it's like that alone is valuable
0: i think having you know as far as the secular humanist you know side goes yeah. that's not something they've been able to figure out you know they've made interesting intellectual critiques of religion and arguments but the community aspect of it is what you know like where does that exist and where does it root itself and is it sustainable on just critiques of religion and secular ideas fully i, I don't i haven't
1: it's hard to Hard to put that together you know something that has that sense of utility and just it's
0: yeah, yeah. and yeah. that's been a big that what Jordan has done in his work is really articulate the utility and power of these things that I think a lot of times on the secular humanist side they just kind of are critiquing caricature surface understandings of holy books and saying oh this is ridiculous this and you're chipping away at the soil that has sustained powerful deep-rooted communities that have bred successful, people and relationships for years and you're it's discounting doing, a lot of the value it doesn't of mean it. an individual secular person is not a good person but when the soil is chipped away at what has sustained healthy dedicated committed communities for years for centuries like you have to do that you do that at your at your uh, peril a little bit or without without being mindful of its power and utility to you know yeah and you can
1: sense and you can sense the wanting of that in the way everybody acts so religiously about everything else now like if somebody likes crystals they mm. really like crystals yeah. right like whatever it is that people follow the,
0: they follow it religiously the the tribalist instinct in all of us will find itself somewhere and i think part of what you're seeing in uh whatever it is wokeness and like you know in protesting on college campuses where people are trying to find causes, they're trying to find things to center around. I mean, I disagree with a lot of it, but I think a lot of it is motivated by a sense of wanting to belong to something righteous and something good. Yes. And that's become warped as to what that good is. I think a lot of the biggest evils in the world have been perpetuated by people who thought they were doing something really good, you know, yes. and are motivated by this higher ideology, but you do doesn't mean you, you discount, you need better ideologies and better systems and, and, you, you can't discount with the idea of not
1: needing any of that because... We, yeah, because they want to belong. They want to feel like they're serving something. We are communal. We bind yeah. together
0: around around central ideas and core values. And I think, you know, a lot of the main religions provide a lot of that. So if you completely strip that away and don't and don't substitute it with something good and moral and powerful and binding, it, you're going to have chaos.
1: So what do you think is... Um, <laughs> what do you think is the answer, man? <laughs> uh, so aside from people kind of picking their religious teams... Mm-hmm. Other than that, you would almost have to create a new religion. Like cause the thing about religion is that it organizes the principles. Mm-hmm. Right? Like if you go to the quote unquote spiritual community or the quote unquote crystal, like it's not really organized. Right. It's just a bunch of people randomly doing it, kind mm-hmm. of feeling it out int- intuitively. Yeah. Right? But with the religion, there's an actual, no, here's here's what we're doing. It's written, it's there. Yeah. And 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 the system is there. So what do you think people that don't end up picking a religion are gonna have to do in the future? Like how do we even
0: you know, I can only speak for myself. Yeah. I can't really be prescriptive as to what people who are don't have a specific community what what they should do. I, I can just say that one of the compelling things for me about Judaism in my life is that it stood the test of time mm. in such a way. I'm facing annihilation repeatedly throughout history. Repeated attempts to wipe out the Jews has has not worked. and it has withstood so much hardship and, you know, commitments of its destruction. Um, and because of that, like you kind of ask yourself, man, there's something here that's strong and resilient and can withstand, you know, time, uh, over time. So if I'm already in it, like there's something that is binding me that, that, that connects me to it and yeah. is persuasive just by the fact that it has l- l- outlasted empires and, uh, so many other right. entities Back, throughout the world. Before technology, yes. where
1: they, they couldn't just upload. So I can, the cloud. I, yeah. I'm not
0: telling everyone to be Jewish. <clears> it's not a proselytizing religion in nature, but uh, for me, that's what is compelling to me about it. But in general, you know, I can't tell. I, I really don't know the answer to that because it's a big question. But I do understand the thirst for wanting to belong to something um, yeah. and, and orient yourself towards something and a set of values. And
1: maybe I, a know. step in the right direction is just prioritize contributing to a community Mm -hmm. as a general concept, right? Like, you know, if somebody could just say, Hey, in our neighborhood, regardless of what we believe in, can we get together? Can we help each other? Can we make this place better? Right. Start at least behaving in those ways. And, and I guess just being aware of it.
0: Yeah. I I don't have the answer. I think one of the positive effects religion has had is having that influence of, of acknowledging that need and to center around certain values and organize around certain values. Um, And otherwise I don't really, so I think if you try to remove that from society and then, you know, completely absent any sort of religious impulses or existence or infrastructure, like you might get demonstrated and historically, like you can get disastrous consequences. So it doesn't mean everyone has to be part of it or everyone has to be Christian or Jewish or Muslim, whatever it may be that helps to organize a, uh, a society, but, but maybe the positive externalities of having, uh, religious institutions in place that are strong help. Um, obviously, there's also been harm. So, like, I, I again, these are big, big yeah, questions, yeah, for sure. And I'm no intellectual, whatever, <laughs> religious theologian explaining what society needs. That feels
1: way beyond me. But, but there I, I is something beautiful about the fact that it lived all this time. Yeah, that it survived, and all that there's time. positive
0: yeah. externalities from having um, having a society that at least values religious institutions and principles, even if not everyone is subscribes to to the details of it.
1: Yeah, you know. Absolutely. so That was very educational. I, hadn't, I yeah. didn't think the podcast would go that direction today, but I learned a lot. Yeah, yeah. It got deep. It we, did. We got deep. I love it, Family, man. Family,
0: parenting, children. I thought we were just talking about Grant
1: Cardone and Gary Vee and Jordan <laughs> Peterson all day. You know which one? And David did? Ramsey. Yeah, I was just going to say <laughs> the Dave Ramsey uh. Uh, a stripper in the trunk, or a person in the, the dead yeah, person in the a trunk, or in the trunk. Yeah,
0: yeah. <laughs> is, 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 that was is, so good. Is
1: the car paid off? Oh wow! Did you mention
0: that? Oh dear! You are in a heap of trouble, my friend. Wow, wow. Okay, okay. Uh, well, let me ask you this. Let me ask you this. <laughs> Uh, Yeah, people call with all sorts of problems. I like the angle of like the problems are really bad. Well beyond, you know, I ran over somebody. uh, So I ran over somebody in my garage. They're they're completely i wiped them out with my car ran over them and they're they're lying dead on the pavement. Oh, wow. What is your income? (laughs) Is the car paid off? Okay, well, good for you. Your income is your most valuable asset.
1: He's my new victim. I've been enjoying the Dave Ramsey stuff. Oh, that is, dude, that is pure gold. Because in the Mm. jokes, the funniest part to me is that Mm. there's still a bit of good advice in your jokes. Yeah. (laughs) Like, that makes Mm. it extra funny. Yeah. Well,
0: does he have life insurance? Oh, okay. Mm. (laughs) Hmm. And the car's paint off. Yeah, <laughs> I'm having fun with it. There's more Dave Ramsey coming to come.
1: Stay tuned. Who else do you want to do? Do you have uh, a hit list? A little lightning round? Yeah. Wanna, who
0: do you like? Who do you like? Lightning round?
1: Oh, no, I meant, I meant in the future. Like, oh. are, are there people that you're... Well,
0: we're coming up on an election season, so there's going to be more on that. Yeah. Uh, as that fight brews, and there's like, there's going to be fun stuff to do. I have ideas for 2024. And uh, 2024, it's going to be beautiful. Terrific. You're a nasty person. Now, very nasty. Brazil's great country, Brazil. Love Brazil. Love the beaches. Beautiful. Rio. Rio's fantastic. You know, it's not as nice as Mar-a-Lago in Florida. It's beautiful. I hid my documents in Rio, you know. <laughs> Brazilian. Brazilian. Portuguese, they speak, right? Portuguese. Is that what they speak? There? Indeed. Portuguese. Uh, I like Bossa Nova. Bossa Nova. The girl from Ipanema. Ipanema's fantastic, terrific. Um, So uh, there's the Trump stuff. I'm working on Chris christie style Mm -hmm. stuff, you know, from New Jersey. Listen, I will talk about Donald Trump, New Jersey, that thick New Jersey. There's that. Um, DeSantis has a vibe that I'm trying to capture a little bit, you know.
1: How much of your facial expression is needed in the execution? 100%. And most of it's visual.
0: The last little bit is the tone. Well, even Gary i'm doing most of it visually you know mm-hmm. yeah, yes because otherwise it's just like a caricature but it's more everything you see about a person is like, you're so
1: they you know? so on florida part.
0: is where the woke goes to die that's your basic <laughs> ron DeSantis, you know and new jersey like did i mean there's visual there's like you know uh chris christie you, you're damn right i did you're damn right you know what i don't want to talk about that right now you know who cares let me ask you something who cares social security <laughs>
1: You know. What about your Ben Shapiro voice?
0: I don't really have the best Ben. It's something, a repression you have to crack, but it's like, it's just ridiculous. It's ridiculous. Yeah, it's a nine. That was just ridiculous. Like, I... You know, I don't have yeah. it. There are friends who got it better. than That was like a really, really, you know, it's just like, yeah, it, 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 I, when, I, when I channel it and I have to work on it, some of them are more immediate and integrated. Ben, not so much, you would think, but I have friends who do
1: a better Ben. I mean, I could tell you as a fan, I could watch these videos all day. Thank you. They, they're, yeah. they're seriously so good. Like, mm. like I, I would want to see an entire show about it. Yeah. Like yeah those, Prince
0: Harry, Prince Harry's been doing very well on Twitter. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's helpful. that's awful. why are you wearing a red is that a red is that a dig at me because I'm, I'm a ginger
1: <laughs> I would yeah. I, you know it would be dope but you could voice a cartoon with all these characters mm. and have them all interact with each other interesting someone has to animate it though somebody does have to animate it yeah it's so on point like yeah. there was nobody else hitting all those people because mm-hmm. I see when people have done impressions of them before they kind of sound like them but they got the messaging wrong right and it's the detail of the messaging.
0: Yeah, I mean, um, people think it's all just the impression, but writing is really important. And having a, you know, like otherwise it's a party trick. Like I, you know, oh look, I'm Jordan Peterson. La la la, whatever, you know, or whatever it may be. But I, am I'm, I'm trying to find the funny and how to actually have a premise or an idea that goes in a funny direction, you know. Because otherwise it runs out of steam very quickly. It's like it's like being on a guitar and like shredding and like look at this, look at this. But every it gets boring after a while if there's not a good song around the the. The technique, then it gets boring. You can wear it out
1: quick. Yeah, you know. Yeah how how does the uh, your religious community feel about all the impressions that you do and it all being like secular people and that kind of stuff today? Care? Is no, that issue no. They
0: like to laugh, especially the politicians and stuff like that. You know, yeah. Jews like to laugh. So okay, it's been okay,
1: <laughs> okay. Would you ever do a religious one? Like would it be would it be bad for you to do a parody of of a famous Jewish person? No, no, I've done okay, all, all
0: the all the rabbis in my life have been impersonated by me at okay, some point. Okay, They've all good. fallen victim, and everybody loves it. <laughs> everybody has everybody loves it. That's you know? great. That's great. So yeah, they, they were my first victims. You know, growing up in synagogue, like the rabbis in the schools and the, the and <laughs> the synagogues, they were the first ones to get uh, impersonated.
1: Well, it comes very yeah. natural to you, man. Like yeah. you're. I can't believe you're not even more big with what you're doing already. Mm. Like it's so on point. Patience, right? Yeah. <laughs> People write on my comment, Gary, V comments. How is this not huge?
0: Patience, right? Like process, gratitude, perspective. Yep. Yeah. Um, so, <laughs> yeah, the pop is pretty real too. Yeah. Um, so thank you. I appreciate
1: that. Yeah, man. No, I seriously, I, w- I can't wait to see where it all develops to. Uh-huh. Like it's it's so needed. Like I consume all that. It is so yeah, you're important. always commenting, showing me love, and I appreciate that. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it pops right up. Like, yeah, it's yeah. funny, sometimes it pops right up it, within like a minute of you posting it, and I comment right away, I'm like, oh, I commented too fast, yeah, right? <laughs> no, 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 it's all good. You, keep, you get the engine going,
0: you get the engine going.
1: Absolutely, man. So yes. uh, who do you look up to? Oh, I know we're kind of getting towards the end here, I just want to hit a couple yeah, more sure. questions. Artistically, who do you look up to?
0: Artistically, um, in the there's different lanes, right? So there's like the content creation space, the music side of things let's say comedy i love kyle dunnigan um he's amazing you know kyle dunnigan at all mm-hmm. uh, impressionist comedian, similar stuff to what i do he does okay. his own kind of style of it but impressions sketches skits uh so love his content um am um, reggie watts was the guy who inspired me to start like Doing more musical, like just freeing me up. He gets on stage and improvises a whole set, and he's a he's brilliant at that. Yeah, and, and says whatever he wants on stage. I love Reggie Watts. Childish Gambino is like a guy who demonstrates that you can be in so many different lanes and do whatever you want to do and just do it well and be yourself and do it. Jamie Foxx, I love Jamie Foxx because he also is a polymath, music, comedy, stand up, acting, all of that. I, I'm yeah. inspired by him. He's he's a beast and uh, and impressions like he yeah. can do all those things and I, I i you know i identify with him a lot i mean he's obviously one of the greatest talented people in the world when i see that he wants to do these different artistic endeavors he does them and i like that uh ups i love the greats of bill uh, you know bill burr chris rock um and louis ck um i'm trying to think of uh you know, Bo Burnham, his comedy style is a little kind of, it has a darker angle to it, but he's a brilliant artist. And I love yes. that he kind of ch- does whatever he wants with the format and yeah. comes from the content creation, YouTube world into the stand up world. So he's inspiring. I've been watching a lot of his specials and stuff just to like see how he puts it all
1: together. His indoor special was really creative.
0: Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Exactly. So like just pure creativity and doing what he does. So I look to him. I'm sure I'm missing people too who I'm like totally obsessed with. But uh You know
1: what he did for, with, with that indoor special? Because yeah. before I Inside. used to, Yeah, I yeah. used to always say that um, oh, you could make a hit album from your bedroom. You could yeah. never make a hit show from your bedroom. Right. And he did. He did. I love Mark Ronson as a producer, Bruno Mars
0: as a mm. singer, songwriter, producer, incredible entertainer.
1: You know? Yeah.
0: There's all those all the all the dudes. Love some bass players that inspire me. It's all of it.
1: You ever like hear a great song and it almost feels like you wrote it in a way? Like it's saying exactly what you would have wanted to say? Does that thought process ever come into you? Because for me, it happens. Like Sometimes I'll hear songs or I'll watch something and it's like artistically, it's like I agree with every choice. Yeah, I mean,
0: <clears throat> there's songs I, I hear it and say, I wish I came up with that. <laughs> yeah. Um, but the the songs that are the best, they feel effortless. They feel like they've always been there. That's like pop music exists in that, in that space of new and familiar at the same time. That's what great pop does.
1: You're like, I I feel like I've heard this, but I haven't heard this. Right, because in a way they use a lot of the same chords, right? But do you think that there is some kind of sacred geometrical pattern that just makes good music good music? Because when we all hear a good song, we know it's good right away. We're like, Mm -hmm. first couple notes, oh, that's gonna be, why? I mean, you can get analytical about
0: it um, as to what makes good good, but
1: but just instinctually for you, like, you know.
0: W- well, melody is, is very important. Yeah. Melody is huge. You know if a song is good if you can snap your finger and sing it, and then somebody can connect to that. That's a very powerful indicator that you, don't, you have something. Yeah. But also then groove and feel, I uh, rhythm is super important. Like the basics, me- melody, rhythm, harmony,
1: right? Like right.
0: the melody. Is the that that organization of notes into a phrase that hits a certain way, the rhythm, how melody is sort of how something sounds and resonates. Rhythm is how something feels. Yeah. At a at a deeper level, you know. It already gets you moving. You feel it. Rhythm. That's like internal. You're you're feeling that. The feeling of music is the rhythm. The harmony is maybe the last element of it, which is like the sauce that you're kind of organizing, the chords. The textures like that. Um, yeah. And so I, I, I don't think know. Where,
1: where I'm going with that, I feel you. So, like, that's like the scientific breakdown right, of it, right? right? But I was almost looking for more of a potential spiritual answer of, is there even one, or is that just a math code that we figured out? Like, here's just the, the formula for making a good song. Mathematically, it's good. Mm-hmm. But is there, um, like, did a good song already exist in the ether? I don't uh, through know. Through God, so yeah, to speak. I, I like, is God uh, involved in music making? I mean, if it's involved in
0: everything, and achieving sort of a higher, I mean, that's the Rick Rubin thing. You're you're making a sacrifice to God. Um, yeah. You know, on the altar. of uh, You know, I, yes, in a sense, to the extent that it's invo- that there's a spiritual component involved in anything, it's there. I mean, the way I operate is I'm big on, I like demystifying things. So I like hearing something and figuring out exactly why it has impact after the fact. What's right. the chord that you... I'm like brainy like that. I'm technical like that. That's just my nature. I don't like to like just say, I have no idea how that happened. No, I know how that happened. It's this chord with this voicing. I hear a piano chord. I'm like, whoa, what was that? So for me, it's ever so curious, constant curiosity, unpacking and demystifying how things are created. Dude,
1: I'm the same way. That's how
0: I operate. And that's what gets me going. That's what motivates me. I'm like, I hear a chord voicing. I want to know what that is. I hear a groove. How did they record those drums to sound that way? Because they did. They did it a certain way, right. And then with re- r- rinse and repeat in that process, you get better and better at seemingly chal- channeling something else, but it's really just the culmination of you know doing something on a regular basis repeatedly that you get better and better at accessing
1: what just feels instinctually good. Right, so there's a part, there's like a logical side of it because I feel the same way about like lighting or film or whatever. Every time I see a shot, in my mind, I'm already breaking down. How did they light that shot? Right, I like all the shadows over here, so the key light was over exactly. there. Exactly, and, and then there's,
0: when you, you 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 when you get enough technical, you know, ability and sensibility, you can transcend that. And then at the end, in the whole, you're either performing a song that feels like you're transcending yeah. because you've practiced it so many times, the technique, or you've made something that feels like it transcends because the technique is no longer a barrier. You're like you can transcend it. And I think that's when you can access the higher forms because the technical stuff is is, is worked into you. So you could just sit and play. You're not thinking about you're it. Not, you're you're not
1: unconsciously right. already know the technicality.
0: Unconscious bias.
1: Yeah, you're just thinking about it. Uh, that's a Harry Prince
0: Harry impression. I'm not sure if you know those ones.
1: Oh, I, but, don't. Um, I don't. Know, I haven't heard of <laughs> it. tell confu- it confused you. The <laughs> Prince Harry
0: one talks about unconscious bias. But anyway, <laughs> the. Uh, yeah, when you can transcend is when like the technique is sort of now in your bones and you can right. you can not think you don't have to think about it to create. You learn it. the
1: rules at first, but then eventually Yeah, it,
0: I like the rules. They help. They help they help orient you and get you to
1: demystify and and learn. I just like the learning. Do you think if there are aliens hmm. and they are intelligent and we hmm. do get to meet them one day, do they make music? Or do you think that's a human phenomenon? Like if they're smart enough to make spaceships, would it have been useful for them to also make music? Like, is it possible that they come here and they're like, we have no idea what music is, but we have spaceships. Mm. I, I had,
0: yeah, sure. Cause music is just the vibrations, channeling the vibrations of the universe. So as long as they exist within the universe, they're grooving in some way. I'm sure, you know, as long as they're living organic beings, I think the reason we respond to music is because our body is music. Our body works versus in 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 rhythmic vibrations. Your heart is <laughs> everything is working in this mechanical way. Yeah. So if these aliens are organic life forms, then they are probably into hip hop.
1: <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean? So sure, why not? Why not? That's a good way to explain it. You know, I like it. I appreciate um, you going with the randomness of my questions. Yeah,
0: sure. Why not? we got to do one random one for sure. <laughs> we got into some reals, so why not throw in the aliens?
1: Okay. Give me, uh, Jordan Peterson, giving me snowboarding advice.
0: Ha <laughs> ha. Well, you know, it's like, as you go down the mountain, that is your bloody existence. You're forming a line into the curvatures of the earth, you know? And you have to always consider the fact that, Snow, ice, trees, and nature itself is confining and bending to your bloody will. So as you curve and go through, whether it's a glades run or, you know, carving into a back bowl, you have to be bloody careful that you don't get lost in the chaos.
1: (laughs) So... That's what I would say. Oh, but I would pay Mm. so much money just to have (laughs) his voice just give advice on all sorts of things like Mm. that.
0: Well, yes, you know, it's not simple. It's not. But, you know, in order to start at something and get good, you have to start by not being very good at
1: all, you know? Fall on your butt over and over. Well, Jordan, what if I want to learn jumps and and more high-risk maneuver, Jordan?
0: Well, I would say don't let the existence of... An illusion of a tyrannical patriarchy prevents you from jumping into the air. You know, you have to take risks and soar to new heights in order to orient yourself towards a higher power. That's what I would see.
1: Hmm. <laughs> on that note, we yes. can, that's a great finisher. <laughs>
0: Enjoy the mountain.
1: <laughs> Thank you so much. A man. pleasure, Brazil. A has been a pleasure. Yes. Thank you. A pleasure. Thank you for having me on. That's a wrap.